Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's a beautiful day outside. It was 27 degrees as I entered this building here uh, overlooking London Bridge. I can see the Tower of London basking in the sunshine. The weekend was quite remarkable. Uh, London basically turned into Barcelona. There were people wandering around the streets, people sitting outside, uh, having fun, eating, drinking, being merry. It was fantastic. I mean, all of the doom and gloom merchants that we're hearing this morning about how terrible it's all going to be and how dark and nasty and horribly horribly hot it's going to be well yes it is going to be hot but enjoy it it's called the summer uh, we will be of course here to entertain you uh, throughout the course of time if you wish to stay inside draw the curtains uh, and not go out do it if you want to uh, but don't tell everybody else to do it if people are full of advice one of the things that i'm going to talk about this week is um the reintroducing of things into the British world, right? And apparently they're going to reintroduce bison into Kent. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong with that idea? 6,000 years later, there's going to be some bison roaming around. The people who are doing it say it's going to be good for the environment. Excellent. Well, that's what we need. A few more bison wandering around the M25. Makes a change from uh, insulate Britain gluing themselves to it, I suppose. But if you know anything about bison, you know this is possibly not the greatest idea that anybody's ever had. We're going to talk about the political debate, of course, from last night. We're joined by David Maddox this morning, political editor of The Express. I'm not sure that I can take much more of this, to be honest. It's as simple as that. Rishi Sunak up, Tom Tugendhat down. Penny Morden still being attacked in the Daily Mail. And, of course, uh, Kemi Badenak, um doing very well in Conservative Home. Can you just get on with it and appoint somebody so we can all go off on holiday and enjoy ourselves? I'm really getting a bit sick to death of it. 0344 Peter Hitchens is here. He's going to be telling us all about the perils uh, of electric vehicles. He's not a fan, neither am I. And I have to say, I saw an awful lot of electric bikes this weekend. There's loads of them. And they're going very fast indeed. If any one of those people that are on one of those bikes hits you, you're dead. Forget about going to hospital. You just go straight to uh, to, to the cemetery, for heaven's sake. 0344 499 1000. We've got loads of other people to talk to. Sam Ashworth Hayes is here. Um, we're going to be talking to uh, a, a defence minister from Ukraine. Uh, there's a lot going on there. LaDonna Harvey's popping in. She's actually in Britain from California. Angela Levin is here as well. She's going to tell us all about the new book called Revenge uh, by uh, Tom Bauer. All about the relationship between Meghan, Harry and the rest of the royal family. It's going to be a fascinating show. Uh, uh, we also want to hear from you as well, of course. 0344 499 1000. Let's get it on. So come on now, be honest. If you watched the Channel 4 uh, debate on Friday, did you also watch the ITV debate last night? Uh, if you did both, then I think that pretty much categorises you as a full political geek. Let's talk to David Maddox, who has to do it for a living. David, a very good morning to you. <laughs> Yes, I, 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 I full political geek here, but uh, yes, I, I get paid to do it, so uh, yes. at least I've got an excuse. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of get paid to do it, but I decided not to watch it last night. I just thought I'll watch the highlights later because it was the one day I wasn't really doing any work, and I just thought, can I really drag myself in front of a television for an hour to watch it? Um, so tell us what you thought of it. We've got a couple of clips to play. Tell us who you thought came out of it best. I, I thought Liz Truss came out of it best, and part of that is because uh, Liz had been so flat 
during the last campaign, she may as well have not been in the Channel 4 debate, and she came out swinging last night, and that she she sounded, dare I say it, like the only Conservative on the platform. Mm. So, you know, she was actually talking about tax cuts and why they're good. Um, we have this weird, weird, I hope you've got the clip of this one, a weird moment where uh, tax cuts are apparently socialist, according to Rishi. Yes, so, I think uh, we have got that. Let's have the, the, the Liz Truss and Rishi uh, clip on tax. To the highest level in 70 years. That is not going to drive economic growth. You raise national insurance, even though people like me opposed it in Cabinet at the time, because we could have afforded to fund the NHS through general taxation. The fact is that raising taxes at this moment will choke off economic growth and it will prevent us getting the revenue we need to pay off the debt. And here's what Rishi had to say in response. I mean, we have to also recognise that we just went through a once-in-a-century pandemic with all the damage that it did to our economy. And I think everyone realises that we were going to have to pay that back. But I'd love to stand here. I'd love to stand here and say, look, I'll cut this tax, that tax and another tax and it will all be OK. But you know what? It won't. There's a cost to these things, the cost of higher inflation, higher mortgage rates, eroded savings. And you know what? This something for nothing economics isn't conservative. Uh, it's uh, socialism. Well, uh, Richie Sunak accusing Liz Truss of being a socialist. Pretty good coming from him, I think I would say, David, wouldn't you? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a few people, well, probably a few people who were watching, kind of choking on their gin and tonics mm. at that point. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty much the, the Rishi and, and, and Liz show, I thought. Um, Penny tried to kind of butt in a few times, but really the other three looked like spectators. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what actually looks like a kind of fight for what is conservatism. Mm. And so do you, do you think then the movement of people who said somebody in the last two should not be from the previous government, i.e. if it does end up being Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, that will be a mistake because it, there won't be any sort of fresh blood there? I think it's probably more important to have uh, a differentiation of ideas, mm. actually. And uh, it's clear to me that um, Sunak versus Truss is the kind of proper debate on ideas and both of them are you know heavyweight experienced politicians I mean I think there's a bit of nonsense really about you know being loyal to Boris and all this sort of business I mean most of what Boris did was actually very good you know I mean uh, there's a bit a bit of spinelessness actually on these debates about standing up for him yeah but uh, you know you know he got us he got Brexit done he got us through a pandemic and he united international community to uh, take on Russia over Ukraine. Yeah. Not many prime ministers have that sort of thing on their CV. No, I think so. And I, and I think people are very, very too, are very much too quick uh, to dismiss Boris Johnson uh, because I think they'll realise when he's gone, uh, all of those things that he did, plus the personality that he had, uh, because I'm afraid watching all of these people debate, um, it doesn't really fill me with any great sense of belonging to a, to a political party uh, and a political ideology because it's led by somebody who really believes in it. I don't think any of them really believe in anything. No, and, and I think the, the whole issue about these months and months of trying to get rid of Boris and should he go and things is, is there anybody there waiting who is an improvement, who is going to be better? Mm. Uh, and I would say there are some good people. I would say those, those five and others who took part in the leadership are good people. But are they better? I'm, I'm not sure. I think we, uh, to be polite about it, the jury's out on that. 
Um, and uh, it's perhaps not surprising that there is a kind of bring back Boris thing trending yeah, already. Absolutely you know, right. For two years' time when it all goes wrong. And of course, later on today, we'll lose another one of them. The, the likely sort of suspect there seems to be Tom Tugan. How do you think that's the yeah. guy that will go? I wasn't. I wasn't actually quite sure why he was there last night. He hardly had anything <laughs> to say. I mean, uh, apart from sort of saying, "Well, you know, I was on the back benches and didn't do any of that." Well, that's fine. I thought Kemi put him in his place quite well. That was her home moment of the night. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a difficult one. Um, he's 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 yeah he's probably gone. I'd be surprised if he even gets the 32 he got last week. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the interesting one is to see what happens to Kemi Badenoch's vote and whether Liz Truss can move close or even above Penny Morton. Yes. Because otherwise it's a, a Penny versus Rishi final two, which yeah. is virtually the same policy. Uh, you know, I mean, there's barely a sort of cigarette paper between them. No, exactly right. And on Friday, people were saying that Kemi might throw in her lot with Liz Truss if she decides to... Um, uh, to pull out, or indeed, if she's voted out uh, either tonight or, to, or or on Tuesday, that that's the logical that's the logical uh, route for it. Um, but there, there have been suggestions, uh, which I saw she denied in the Sun, but there have been suggestions that uh, the plan was to roll in behind Rishi. Mm. So um, let's wait and see on that. I mean, mm. ideologically, uh, she would she would go in with Liz, but we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. And what about uh, Penny Morden? She's come under a relentless attack, really, uh, for one, um, so shall we say, um, I don't know, not particularly um, front-runner-like. You know, she came out of the stocks pretty fast, but basically she's had this incredible campaign against her. People like Lord Frost saying that she was useless. Um, Lord uh, Myron said Myron saying the same thing. Uh, this morning, Daily Mail's got, uh, she flattered number 10 band to meet a boycotted group. I mean, she looked a little bit last night as if she's been kind of battered about a bit too much and now she's kind of feeling a bit jaded about it all. Well, yes, but I mean, I'm, I find it hard to feel sorry for her, actually. If you want the top job in politics, then you've got to show you can stand up yeah. to... Yeah, oh, I don't feel sorry for her at all. I mean, it's nonsense that the kind of trans stuff is a, is a smear. You know, she's on record saying what she said about the trans stuff. She's yeah. the one who blocked women going into that maternity bill for ministers last... Yeah, you know, um, that's fine. I'm not, that's a reasonable position to take. I'm not criticising her for that. But there are also reasonable positions to take against it. It's not a smear mm. to say that she was wrong on that policy. Right. And also, if she's got a change of heart and she changes her mind on something, there's nothing wrong with that either. No, it does, it does seem not a bit baffling to say that you didn't do something if there's evidence to suggest that you did. Well, I mean, it's, it's literally there on, you know, I mean, you just go onto YouTube and, yeah. and you can hear her say it. So, I mean, but, you know, it's it's fine. I mean, yes, people do change their minds and of course they're allowed to. Yeah, it's a shame really, though, because I would thought that she would be quite a formidable character. Um, but it's beginning to look as though that may not carry all the way through the week. I don't know. I think there's still a good... I, I still think she's in prime spot to take on Rishi in the final two. And uh, honestly, I think if if it's her, she will win. I mean, I'd uh, rather see her there than Liz Truss by 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 any stretch of the imagination. Because I do find Liz Truss, notwithstanding what you said about her last night and looking a bit better and sounding a bit more sure of herself, mm. she's still uh, a, a much less sort of attractive, and I mean that in in a political sense, uh, candidate than than Penny Morden. I don't know actually. I think I think uh, I think Liz, I quite liked Liz's uh, stuff last night about. Uh, her political journey. Uh, I think there's there's more to her in terms of experience. Uh, 
uh, I think her conservatism has been kind of learned, if you like. It's 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 developed rather than being kind of born into. I mean, they're both actually very good candidates, mm. uh, and I wouldn't mind seeing either of them. I, and uh, frankly, I think either of them would beat Rishi in a runoff with the members. But you know, that, that of course is is to be seen. But it's uh, I think I think both of them can make a very good pitch to the party members. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I do get a sense as well that it will be a woman that wins it somehow this time. And I don't think Rishi Sunak has got hope in hell, but that's another story. Uh, that's yeah. my own particular view. Stay with us, David, if you would. So I want to talk to you about what else is going on uh, in the big wide world of politics, not least the uh, no confidence vote, which is going on tonight, rather bizarrely, in the midst of all of this. It's Boris Johnson's last week. Uh, it's his kind of swan song. Uh, so we'll talk a bit about that as well. 0344 499 1000. Jenny from Milton Keynes says, there are idiots planning to reintroduce wolves to certain areas. What next? Velociraptors? Raquel Welsh in a fur bikini? I mean, you do wonder, don't you? Bison in Kent. For heaven's sake. This is Talk TV. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Now, I know how seriously you take my uh, sometimes rhetorical questions, but given uh, what we just heard on the, uh, uh, the news there, the travel, I should say, why are trains... Well, there are fewer trains because it's hotter. Why? Apparently, trains travel more slowly in hot weather. Well, I've travelled on trains in hot weather in the United States of America. They don't travel any slower. They travel just as quick. If people tell me, oh, we've got different rails, that's why. It's different. Well, why? Why have we got different rails? We haven't got anything different in the car scenario, have we? We're talking to David Maddox here, uh, of course, from the Daily Express. He's political editor, talking about what happened last night. There was one quite delicious moment, David, wasn't there, when Rishi Sunak tried to kind of... uh, stitch up Liz Truss on her heritage politically to try and make out that she was a flip-flopper and all the rest of it. And she kind of got, got him back, and it was quite quite the thing to watch his uh, smug smile disappear off his face as she wondered where he went to school. Yes, uh, it, it was quite a moment. It was quite a snarky kind of question from, yes. uh, from Rishi, I thought. And, uh, uh, and she seemed to be ready for it, actually. She came back quite hard at him. I mean... She didn't say she did. She did say you're a posh boy from a posh school, but she might as well have done. She didn't you know, have to, yeah. Uh, I, I think um, you know it was a nice little pitch to the kind of red wall new kind of conservative yes. voters. I have to say. Right now, I'm told that there's this confidence vote later on in Parliament. Uh, this mm. is the kind of beginning of the Boris Johnson swan song, isn't it? He is. He said last week on uh, Prime Minister's questions, he might not be here this week, but obviously that's not going to happen. I presume he is no. going to do PMQs on Wednesday. It'll be his final one. Um, so he's going to speak tonight, I'm told, um, and sort of I, I draw a line under his, his premiership, I suppose. Well, this is this is kind of going back to Margaret Thatcher in 1990, isn't it? That uh, when she uh, uh, announced that she was going Labour called that vote of confidence mm. and she used it as a kind of curtain call to justify and to uh, celebrate 10 years of Thatcherism uh, under her. And um, uh, and it was quite effective. And I suspect Boris uh, feels that he can do the same, actually. Mm. You know, not for such a long period as Prime Minister, but, uh, you know, as I, as I said earlier, there's, there's plenty of things to celebrate, plenty of achievements. Right? Oh, for sure. Um, but, you know, I suppose the big question is, what does he do next? And that's also a question that's being asked about people like Rishi Sunak. You know, if Rishi Sunak doesn't become Prime Minister, does he stay in anybody's cabinet? Uh, they were all asked about Boris Johnson, whether he would be in anybody's cabinet. You know, are we going to see a kind of complete sea change in the sort of parliamentary party? 
Uh, well, Rishi, of course, has his green card for America, so um, you know maybe he'll pop over there. But uh, I don't know actually. Right. Uh, I I suspect that the least change will come with a Liz Truss premiership. Mm. Uh, an awful lot of ministers seem to be signed up to her, and similarly, actually, um, Rishi Sunak will have an awful lot of familiar faces. I suspect if he becomes prime minister. Mm. The, the the wild cards, of course, are uh, big, let's assume that Tom Tuganat's not surviving this evening's vote, but real wild cards are uh, uh, Kemi and Penny. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's anybody's guess who would be in those cabinets, but I, I suspect they would look a hell of a lot different from uh, what's gone before. Yes, but that is the point about this whole sort of leadership election. It is very much more wide open than, than any others that I can remember, because yeah. in the end, you actually wouldn't be surprised which two of these four uh, that are left would end up in the final flurry? No, you wouldn't actually, uh, and they've all shown they've all shown strengths along the way. Uh, it, yeah, I think I think that's uh, I think we're heading for some interesting times actually. Yes, well, I mean, I mean, we've had some pretty interesting times to be honest. I mean, the one <laughs> thing that people keep saying to me, which they're rather puzzled about, uh, is that so far we've had two debates. Um, and I, I guess you could probably count the Conservative home one as the third one uh, that took place on Friday afternoon. Mm. Nobody's really brought up the subject of migrants and nobody's brought up the subject of Rwanda and nobody's brought up the subject of what to do uh, with that particular policy. I know that Rishi Sunak has said that he would continue with it in a previous interview, but none of the debates have touched on it. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, to be honest, I think the problem is that uh, uh, is who's hosting these uh, debates. Yeah. Uh, and I, I take Con Home out of it, but I mean, you know, we, we, the um, ITV and Channel 4 are, uh, well, I'm not going to be polite about it, you know, they're a bit woke, <laughs> Channel 4 in particular, a bit. basically uh, had a, a left-wing audience who were pretending to be would-be conservatives, right. it seemed to me. I, I, well, I, they I spent an inordinate amount of time talking about yeah. Boris Johnson, didn't they, yeah, and whether exactly. he was trustworthy. Uh, I mean, who cares at this point? So, you know, I mean, I, I mean, Talk TV should be hosting one of these things, I think. You know, it's a very or, good or, idea. Or your rival over in Paddington, and asking the actual questions that Conservative voters are concerned about. Yeah. Which is, you know, uh, are you going to really let this net zero um, obsession bankrupt us? That's the question to ask, really, on that. I, 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 what are you going to do about the migrants coming across in small boats? This is the sort of things that Conservative voters are concerned about, and we haven't heard a single question on ITV or Channel 4. No. Uh, which would which would actually relate to that. And I mean, I can imagine if it is going to be asked on Sky, the question will be put in a slightly different way. It won't be, will you continue with the policy to send illegal migrants to Rwanda? Uh, it will be, will you ditch the inhumane policy uh, exactly. of, sending, exactly. uh, yeah. of sending asylum seekers to a country where they've never been? Yes, yes. Um, and, and what are you going to do to uh, cause, you know, to... Uh, make net zero happen even more quickly, probably, yeah. and things like that. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's all sorts of crazy. And that is the other weird thing, that, you know, net zero is a massive um, uh, factor in all the calls that we take here at uh, Talk TV. The thing that most Conservative voters care about the most outside of uh, immigration mm. and the cost of living. And yet only uh, Kemi Badinock really has said what uh, she's going to do uh, is to slow it all down. Yes, I thought that was a very strong moment from her last night actually she wasn't intimidated at all the others were kind of oh a bit worried about uh, uh getting some hit back on uh, on the net zero thing and, and kemi just went for it i won't bankrupt this country for yeah. it 
uh, and she's absolutely right. Uh, she should have gone further and said, I won't bankrupt families and individuals mm. and businesses on it because, you know, I mean, I'm still trying to, I mean, I'm, I'm not a badly paid person, but, you know, I'm still trying to work out how I'm going to afford to uh, get a heat pump in my house for 20 grand or buy an electric. <laughs> or dig up the garden. 50 grand, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, uh, it, it, it's madness. It is. And, you know, so, I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot now, David, and you don't have to answer if you don't wish to, but um, <laughs> if you were a betting man, um, who do you actually think is going to be the next Prime Minister of this country? Ooh, that's a difficult one. Uh, I think that the woman who goes to the final against Rishi will be the next Prime Minister. OK. Uh, at the moment, that's slightly more likely Penny, Mordant, but it could be Liz Truss. Yeah. OK, well, I hope you're wrong about Liz Truss. But anyway, we should look forward to talking to you uh, perhaps uh, before the event, but uh, but after the two have been selected. David Maddox, let's go to the Daily Express. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, how about this from Sue, uh, who's texted into 810, uh, sorry, into uh, Talk TV uh, 8722. I've decided I can no longer watch the debates as there is no candidate would get my vote, so I'll just have to put up with the winner until the next election. Rishi made me so angry. I have a limited company. I was fortunate I managed to go into a fixed term contract during covid i was not entitled to any money we are the small business owners that were totally screwed by rishi i would have had to use all my savings and then most likely i would have lost my house and as for the rubbish about his father-in-law starting a company please the wealth was made off the back of uk jobs being outsourced and there's a lot of anger about what Rishi Sunak did. There's a lot of anger about the way he stewarded the economy during uh, the lockdowns and during COVID. And I think it would be a much better plan. I still do uh, that we have Rishi Sunak, uh, if he is to be in the final two, not versus Liz Truss, but versus Penny Morden. I think Penny Morden would be a far more substantial prime minister, notwithstanding all of the things that people have said about her, notwithstanding the fact that she's apparently uh, got some kind of weird flip-flopping agenda going on. I mean, they all have at the end of the day. Uh, and as I said last week, I still think she's the better bet uh, in terms of who would be the better prime minister for this country. But you can tell me different, obviously. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we're talking Meghan and Harry. Uh, we're talking to Angela Levin. It's the royal spot. This is, of course, Talk to Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. So, I'm sorry to keep going on about this, but it really has quite uh, piqued my interest. Bison in Canterbury, right? Um, apparently, we want to reform uh, the countryside. We want to return it to its natural state. Well, I'm sorry, I don't remember any bison in Kent any time uh, recently. 6,000 years ago, they're saying that they were there. I've seen bison uh, in America. They roam the plains uh, and they look tremendous. They look great. They're actually pretty good eating as well. They, they taste quite good. But they don't really belong in Kent, do they? Are you serious? Are you having a laugh? Is this some kind of April Fool, belated April Fool, bison in Kent? There's three of them so far. Uh, I don't know how many are going to come out of it. Lots of you have got things to say about it. Some of you say, I thought they were trying to cut back on livestock. Why are they now reintroducing livestock? What's that all about? And a lot of you making the bison basin joke. So, you know, thanks for that. Yeah, just as long as you're keeping it keeping it real. Let's talk to, however, Angela Levin, uh, royal biographer, of course, and journalist, because Tom Bauer has written a book called Revenge, Meghan, Harry and the War Between the Windsors. It's serialised in The Sun uh, and The Times, and it really does make for some very interesting reading. Angela, very good morning to you. 
Good morning. Now, uh, you and I have talked about Megan many times, but I'd have to say um, some of the stuff that's coming out in this book from Tom Bauer, who's a very well-known and well-researched author, I think we could all agree on, um, is not surprising, but, but sort of shocking in its way. Well, you see a whole lot in one go, so you gasp, really. You see the things that she's done over time. It's not the same as having it all in one go. But I will have to say, I mean, he's a very, very professional writer, Mm. but he does go around corners a lot. He rarely says something is absolutely straight. He says things like, give the impression of, Mm. or it was possible that. Mm. Uh, He says about Camilla... Um, that uh, she she's the type of girl that Camilla may well call a minx. Yes. And the press was up of this, and it became a fact, but it's not actually a fact. Mm. It's just his um, guesswork. Sure. But, but there the... were lots of things that were in it, um, how she coped with a Vogue, how she coped with Vanity Fair. Yeah. Um, the thing seems to be that both of them seem to believe that they um, got a sort of blessed with Diana's magic. And Prince Harry doesn't move or do anything, he says now, mm. without thinking, being in touch with her and her telling him what to do. I think that's a very dangerous and rather sad thing yes. anyway. And but, I think there's uh, that, I and mean, we can see that in the way that they are together. There's no question that that's, that's sort of what's going on. And also in today's piece in The Sun, Meghan reprimanded every one of Harry's friends for contravening yeah. her woke values. Uh, she was texting, her, her, texting his friends, basically, um, to say how they should be. Yes, this is 2016 mm. when she was a very new to the royal family, new to Harry, and he invited her to um, Sandringham for a shoot. Yeah. And it was a load of boys together, 16 boys and their wives or their partners. And they were having, you know, drinking a lot and making jokes, probably some of them not to uh, be heard before nine o'clock in the evening. <laughs> and, um, and, and she hated it. She... She, she was going up and telling them off mm. about what they were saying, you know, that, that she didn't like how their behaviour. My goodness me. I mean, if you do like a man and you think he's going to be number one for you, you don't go around and actually attack his friends. No. And she didn't like the food. The, the tea was the, the wrong type of tea and all sorts of things were not right. And she had no... Um, shyness about saying that. Yes. And they also concluded that she didn't have much of a sense of humour, which is often the case with visiting Americans, isn't it? Well, I don't know about visiting Americans, but she she's she's so... I think she was then so determined to push herself forward as being a superwoman mm. in every possible way and a woke superwoman, which is even better. Yeah. And yeah. Um, they had to bear that. But afterwards, they said some rather rude things about her, apparently, mm. says Tom. Yes, and he also Um, says that during that period of time, which I think was when she met Piers Morgan, when she sort of came to Britain in search of um, um, a a reasonably um, celebrated or famous boyfriend, uh, she was also sort of panning around for work and she was coping to get herself onto Strictly, according to him. Yes, uh, she couldn't do that because she had a job on, uh, you know, that she was... On suits, yeah. On suits, yes. And so she she couldn't do it. But I think she was desperate to be anywhere and to be very important. If you list in your head who she doesn't like, 
you know, most of her, all her family, except her mother, mm. doesn't like any of the royal family, doesn't like Harry's friends, doesn't like the way the palace ran, doesn't like the way Vanity Fair dealt with her. Nobody. You have to think, is it everybody's fault or is it one person's fault? Well, you do wonder about that, don't you? What about the frustration? Uh, this came out sort of over the weekend uh, of the Windsors, of the royal family in general. They tried to get her to make up with her father, and I presume this was probably before the wedding so that he could be invited or at least he could stop talking uh, in a disproportionate way about her. Uh, but they were fr frustrated because she refused to do it. Yes, in 2019, she went up to Scotland and stayed a week with Prince Charles and Camilla. And they were trying to help her, really. I have to say that I don't think it's anybody's business how... Uh, children deal with their parents. I can understand that they wanted her to go over and make amends, but I do think that actually um, you can't persuade someone to do that because they know all the details and maybe she's all wrong about that, but I do think that the way you deal with your parents as an adult is, is your business. I think really what they should have done is tried to um, calm things down and just soothe it all mm. so that it wasn't a sort of big shouting match. But um, I can't see how anybody, whether you're the future king or not, can tell mm. somebody how to deal with a difficult parent. Yes. And, I mean, you and I have spoken many times since the Jubilee about what happened then uh, and where they are now. My contention is, of course, that, you know, they realise that they don't want to lose the good thing that they do have, which is their connection to the royal family. So they appear to be kind of behaving themselves. We haven't seen any more tantrum-like outbursts on television about how awful everybody was to them, you know. Um, what goes on in the future? Uh, the Sussexes, of course, is still the title that they like to use, even though they don't want to be part of it. Uh, do you think at any point they'll ever, lose, they'll ever drop that? Well, I think it's going to be very interesting when Harry's uh, memoirs come out. They've been put back, so we seem, or the publisher is going to surprise us all and suddenly release them. That's a possibility. Mm. We need to see what's in it. I mean, one there's a, a view that it's been held up because Harry wants to calm it down a bit because uh, he does desperately... Well, both of them desperately need to have a sort of royal link. Mm. And the fact that they were nowhere near the, the Queen or Prince Charles or Prince um, and Win Prince William at all, and they couldn't take photographs, actually has ruined their plan. But um, I think that would be very difficult for the publisher because they're supposed to be paying them 13 million. And for that, you want something really hot, don't you? You don't want something subdued and okay-ish. Well, you don't really, do you? And the problem is, is that, you know, if they do cut their ties with the royal family and they do decide that they're never going to visit again uh, as long as they're around, that kind of cuts them off from a, a, a stream of income from Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, yes, I'm sure it will. But what's interesting is if Meghan wants to pursue a political life, as the rumour has it, she can't stay a, a British royal. I no. mean, it's nonsense. And to appeal to them to the, the, the government, um, signing herself the Duchess of Sussex mm. is also a nonsense. You can't have somebody who's got a hierarchy in one country uh, working for another. No. But I think these things will evolve and actually sort them out. Mm. But I, I, I think as long as the Queen is alive, the palace will be very careful what they do mm. because they she doesn't want any change. She wants a peaceful 
time now and that's quite understandable and they don't want rows and and you see you don't know how they can hit back i think they they they're now in a place that that doesn't matter how hard they hit how rude they are what they say and they might reveal all sorts of things including security issues mm. Yes. Um, no, I think, you're I think you're absolutely right, Angela. We've got to run because we're out of time, sadly. But thank you very much indeed, Angela Levin, uh, uh, talking about uh, the royal family and the links to uh, Harry and Meghan, the war between the Windsors, according to Tom Bauer. The book is called Revenge. Uh, it's in The Times and The Sun, uh, serialised this week. We'll come back with more of your calls next. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On the app, on your mobile, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV on what potentially could be uh, the hottest day ever. Uh, in the UK. I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, we will find out in the fullness of time. I'm not sure whether the temperature has risen from the 27 degrees it was when I got here this morning, uh, but we will certainly keep you informed. The breaking news that we have for you is the Tory leadership debate on Sky News, which was planned for Tuesday night, has now been cancelled altogether after Rishi Sunak and Liz Trust decided they did not want to take part. Apparently, they didn't want to take lumps out of each other anymore. After last night's uh, debacle on ITV, uh, they all decided they were calling each other socialists too much and it wasn't going down too well uh, in the deep blue heartlands of the United Kingdom. So, maybe there won't be any more TV debates at all until we get the final two. Everyone expects Tom Tugendhat to drop out today, uh, so that would only leave four people. Um, and that would be Kemi, uh, that would be Penny, that would be Rishi, and that would be Liz, the only one who doesn't have a name that ends in a sort of E sound. I don't know whether that's significant. Peter Hitchens is here, however. Uh, we're going to talk about trains. He knows a lot about trains. He's right. been on more trains than you can shake a stick at, many of them in very hot countries, uh, where the rails do not buckle. And if anybody tells me the rails buckle here because they're continuously welded, get lost, because that's not true either. Thank you very much indeed. We have a heat wave, and apparently schools are being closed down, people are being told not to go to work, the unions are saying they would like to have a set temperature at which everybody stops working. Um, I assume for them that would be, I don't know, 10 degrees. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Peter Hitchens is here uh, to talk some sense, thankfully, after an hour of madness. Hello. Good morning. Uh, bison being reintroduced into the wilds of Canterbury, which is my favourite story of the day. We, we could talk it's about that. It's thrilling, isn't it? It is very thrilling. It's, it, it, they, they'll, I hope they get on with all the wild boar. Or, or <laughs> That's right. People roaming say, the country. As, as people as well. are complaining that apparently cattle... Um, and regular cows are bad for the climate, but bison are good for the climate. How does that exactly work? Well, that's work? great then, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, then uh, that's obviously the argument which resolves everything. If it's good for the climate, then it's a good thing. Yes. Like, like electric cars. Yes. Apparently, which are actually terrible for the climate, but uh, everybody's been gulled into thinking they're yes. wonderful. So people are buying them at vast vast prices. Yes. And then going out and discovering the battery goes flat much sooner than they were told it and, would. And, they, and they can't then charge it because no. there are no charges. But nonetheless, it's it's a, it's a government policy and it's, it's green, so it, everyone's in favour of it. It must be good. They've also forgotten that government policy way back when... Um, young Miliband was uh, Ed Miliband oh, was the environment Miliband. secretary under Gordon Brown's government. They told us all to buy diesel cars because they were good for the environment. All kinds of things have been said in time. I, the, if you made a list, I met some of the people who were involved uh, with Lovelock, I think, in the current uh, global warming frenzy, used to be uh, about twenty-five years ago, mm. releasing on Ice Age. Uh, the, in, in medical terms, it's fantastic. When we had our first child, we were told very, very firmly that we should place her on her on her 
front oh, yes, to avoid court death. Yeah. And within two years, the advice, the advice has been completely reversed. Yeah. Uh, but nobody ever said, look, we're awfully sorry we told you the wrong thing. It was very dangerous. They yeah. just changed it. And when you when you challenged them about it, they said, what, us? No, yeah. surely not. Well, it was never, like that never during, happened. Well, it was like that during COVID, wasn't it? Do you remember when they said there's absolutely no point wearing a mask? That's right. Doing the thing. Uh, and then later, you must wear a mask because it will prevent you, you getting see, I, COVID. I, I keep these bits of paper because of, <laughs> well, you have to keep the bits of paper because the advice which was on the internet mm. Uh, from from the government saying don't bother with masks, yeah. a waste of time, disappeared. Right. And if you hadn't kept the printed version, you wouldn't ever be able to find yeah. it again. The complete memory hole, 1984 stuff. Yes. It's incredible, isn't it, what they do? Let's talk about the trains, though, first of all, because okay. obviously that's the current sort of big story, the heat wave that we are currently uh, in, in encompassed and, and experiencing. Uh, is apparently going to kill thousands of people, according to the doom mongers. I really don't see how they can come out with stuff like that. I don't know either. I, I don't. I, I have no idea whether any, any, anyone is going to die as a result. And obviously, there, there are medical conditions which are made worse by hot yeah. weather, and, and people suffer from them. And uh, everyone should do everything they can to help anybody they know who suffers from those. Mm. But there is, it seems to me, to be a rather large overreaction here. We're yeah. already predicting. And I was told by friends of mine in the railway industry, as I refer to the nice people. Of Oxford Station, who I see every morning, uh, that one of the um, uh, one of the, at least one of the railway companies was already running trains at restricted restricted speeds at seven o'clock this morning, mm. uh, when it couldn't possibly have been hot enough to justify. No. Now it's, it's it's theoretically possible the rails could get so hot that they expand and buckle. It's not you you can't rule it out, but it's I think it's quite difficult for it to happen in this country, and it certainly doesn't happen at seven mm. in the morning. It's overreaction. All these maps with great red pulsing. Oils on them, right. suggesting that everything's fantastically hot. Uh, only spread the idea that we can't cope with hot weather. Mm. I think we're told that the the line from London to York is going to close tomorrow because it wasn't built to to, to cope with temperatures yeah. of this kind. Well, wasn't it? Right. Uh, did the Victorians, who seem to me to have been pretty skilled engineers, really not consider the possibility there might be a few hot days? Yeah, uh, they when must they have built done. those railway lines. I don't. Is, know. It's a bizarre. Well, thing I mean, to the say. people who are telling me that for some reason our railway lines are constructed differently to every other country in the world. World. Uh, and one, I'm not sure that's true. Two, why would that be the case? And also, these things feed into one another. I was listening to Julie Hartley Brewer this morning talking to a, a head teacher, as she called herself, um, a, an education leader, was another thing she called herself, uh, said, well, of course, we're going to send the children home early because uh, there might not be any trains uh, or buses. So we'd like to make sure that they get home before well, the buses stop running. So that's now a reason to stop telling people that they need to send their children to school. Well, exactly. One, one thing leads to another. Yeah. The, the same thing happened in the COVID panic. One yeah. thing leads to another. The decision to, to close the schools, I think, is now recognised by everybody with more than a, a, a minimal IQ as being one of the stupidest decisions ever taken in the history of this country. But yeah. on the other, the other hand, can one really get terribly worked up about it, given the state of the schools that we have? Uh, that, But that's another problem. Well, given the state of Manchester University, where now you apparently have to refer to your mother and father as your parents... Um, or your guardians, and your sister's uh, brother is a sibling. Okay. Well. So, you know, there we are. Let's talk about the electric vehicle piece you wrote, because I experienced an awful lot of sort of what can be called incoming this weekend. Yeah. I was walking around the streets of London a fair bit, and the number now is, has increased significantly. You know, I saw fewer e-scooters, funnily enough, this weekend, but I saw more electric bikes. And the electric bike problem is huge, it seems well, the, to me. The, electric, the electric bike is, is, a, is, a, is an extremely clever invention by those who've, who've marketed it because you, you don't need to, to pass the elaborate tests mm. uh, that you need to... to, to 
Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. To, to, to use an ordinary motor vehicle. Uh, it's, of course, it doesn't require any petrol, which at a time of rising petrol prices is, uh, is good. I, I, think, I, think, I think you can ride one if you've lost your license. For, for I, don't, one, I don't think you need a license to ride one, no. Well, no one's checking anyway, because you could, you could get someone else to buy one or, or, or hire one for mm. you, and, and no one would know. So it's basically, it's unlicensed, it's, as these devices are in the, in the mm. third world. Anybody can get on them and ride them at pretty much any speed right. that you like. They're supposed to be restricted to about 15 miles now, but actually, again, there are... I, I'm not going to advertise this, but there are ways, uh, hideously easy ways, mm. in which that can be overcome, so yeah. they can go very fast. And, of course, they're quiet. And it, people aren't used to them. It nearly got me a few months mm. ago I, before I realized what was going on. Yeah. I saw something approaching late one night, a, a, a pedestrian crossing. I thought it was a bicycle, so I thought I had time to cross. Yeah. And then I realized just in time that, in fact, it was powered and mm. it was probably doing 30 miles an yeah. hour. And so I jumped back in time. Otherwise, I would have been swatted by it. Yeah. I had no idea it could well, be Well, I saw fast. three uh, characters on, on very fast-moving electric bikes with their faces covered yep. in the middle of the day uh, – on uh, on in London on Saturday, and I thought these people could be going literally anywhere. And then I read about, and I'm not suggesting that these were the people that did it, but then I read about this raid on uh, the Apple Store in Covent Garden, and it's the perfect way to get away from oh, it's, a robbery. It's, it's marvelous. You know, no one can chase you, uh, and if you and, and there's, there's no wearing a mask these days is considered to be perfectly legitimate. Yes. Whereas a couple of years ago, if you'd been wandering around London with a mask, people said, "Hey, why are you doing that? Yeah. Now you can do it." And everybody thinks, "Oh, what a generous, selfless yes. chap!" Uh, but on the other hand, of course, the CCTV cameras cannot uh, right. cannot work out who you are. So it's, it is an ideal vehicle, as, as indeed are the e-scooters, for yeah. a getaway from a, from an urban crime. Mm. And indeed also for mugging people. And it, I, I just don't know why everyone's so good. If you, I thought, this is a ridiculous thing. I, and it shouldn't be being legalized. And no. When I started writing about it, I thought other people would join in and say, yes, that's true. And then they'd look at the example of Paris, where they were a disaster when they were legalized, and people would say, let's not have this. Mm. And I just found myself not merely more or less on my own mm. saying it. People would say, haven't you got anything more important to write about? Yeah. Well, of course I have. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, if no one else was doing it, then I felt a, a duty to say, look, this is a, this is a serious problem. Right. Grant Shap should not be legalizing e-scooters, and he should be doing something to restrict uh, e-bikes. Mm. But nothing happens. And, nothing and, does I, in, Within four or five years... These things which appeal to several of the lower instincts of man, yeah. um, but particularly laziness, will be incredibly common. Mm. And people will wish that we'd done something to stop them. Yeah, well, there was another death, wasn't there, um, on Monday of last week, so a week ago. A man died after a crash on an e-scooter in Luton. Uh, he was actually riding it, 33-year-old, came off the device on a footpath yeah. um, and uh, was killed pretty much instantly. Well, because are, when you go at that kind of speed... And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lethal weapon. They're inherently unsafe. I mean, all motor vehicles are mm. inherently unsafe, which is why normal motor vehicles are very seriously regulated in who, who can drive them, where you can drive them, yes. and how fast they can go. But these things, which are motor vehicles and are quite powerful, are not seriously regulated at all, and neither are their riders, and that, mm. that is the great conundrum. How have we gotten to this mess? Yes. 
Now, we just announced there that the Sky debate is over. Yeah. It's not happening. You wrote the weekend that uh, you haven't written much about the uh, the contenders for the leadership of the Tory mm. party because there isn't any point. Well, I'm choosing between... <laughs> people say, well, who, who, who is your favourite uh, Tory leadership candidate? And I say, well, what's your favourite disease? Yeah. It, it's not really a, a thing in which I can, I can have a favourite mm. because, to me, none of these people show any signs of being conservative. No. Uh, sorry, arguments about tax and, uh, and, and not tax and not arguments about conservative politics. They're just arguments about what you can get away with. And anyway, all these people, I did I did watch some of the thing last night until mm. I lost the will to live. Yeah. Uh, all of these people are handicapped by one thing. They all supported the mad, disproportionate COVID measures uh, which have put our economy in the mm. dustbin. Yeah. And so for any of them to stand up there and pose as if they have any idea how to run the economy is, mm. is, is axiomatically absurd. None of them did. There's not a one of them who, who, who even the, the, the supposedly sainted uh, Lieutenant General Tugendhat mm. uh, has, has, didn't stand up against this nonsense at all. In right. fact, I think rather the reverse. Yeah. So they've got nothing to say about economics. If they supported that mm. and, and Rishi Sunak's magic money tree, mm. they, they've disqualified themselves from any discussion about uh, about government spending. So why listen to them? Where are they on actual conservative policies? Yes. You never hear a thing. Well, they don't seem to have very many of those. And they both apparently, one of the reasons they've cancelled this uh, next debate is because they both call each Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak both accused the other of being socialist. Yes, well, I think they, they're may, both they, right. they may both have been right. <laughs> and that's the problem. You can't have the truth coming out. No. But I've been saying this for years. People say, what? The Conservative Party is a left-wing party? Yes, it is. Yeah. No, no, no. How can you say a thing like that? They say, well, because it's true. Yeah. And and now it seems to me they've uh, they, they've blown the gaff. Yeah. It is, indeed. I think that's uh, right. A left-wing party. And now they're calling each other left-wing. Well, so good. Finally, I, let, some truth. I, let's, let's uncancel this debate and have more of that. <laughs> some truth in politics. Ben Hitchens is here. Uh, we'll be back with more. Uh, we'll talk about the roads to freedom, a bit of Joe Biden as well. This is Talk TV. On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. And we've just been discussing this development over in uh, Ukraine uh, where Vladimir Zelensky has suspended his security chief and top prosecutor uh, in a case which he says uh, revolves around treasonous behaviour. Uh, he says that there's been a lot of collaboration uh, at the top end of uh, the military in Ukraine with Russia. What do you make of this, Peter? Well, I, the only thing one can make of it is that things are not going particularly well for the Ukrainian um, mm. armed forces in in the war, mm. uh, which is a thing that has been rumbling underneath. Uh, some of the heavy newspapers have been beginning to report that it's not wholly successful yeah. over the past couple of weeks. And it has, I have to say, uh, the tinge of panic to mm. me when you start talking about treason and, and, and arresting and, people. And, and arresting people. Yeah. That, uh, but it's very interesting. What struck me is that it, as so often when there are reverses for Ukraine in this, uh, in, in this war, uh, people are not particularly anxious to discuss them because there's, there's a kind of almost football game feeling. This mm. is our team and, and their, their problems are not really to be dwelt on. But I think you know, for many serious news point of view if if, the, if there are problems they should be properly reported i'd like the, to know a lot more yeah, about it frankly this is the weird thing i mean we're going to talk later on this uh, this in the show in the afternoon to uh, major general vladimir uh, havrilov who is the deputy De- defense minister of ukraine who's going to be uh, with us so we'll put a few questions to him and find well, out i hope you get something out of it what is going on because you also wrote at the weekend about joe biden uh, and mbs as he's known well, Mohammed bin salman uh, the yeah. crown prince of saudi arabia 
Yes, it's extraordinary. I, if if we have, as we constantly say we have, this tremendously stern moral position towards Russia because of its horrible way of, of, of murdering dissidents and throwing people in prison and invading uh, innocent countries and all the other awful things that it does, then how come Joe Biden, who's publicly admitted that the, and, and stated himself in, I think, his election campaign that Saudi Arabia was a pariah state, how come he feels the necessity to go and I won't say grovel, mm. but but certainly uh, pay a, a, a sort of public tribute yeah. uh, to this dreadful man. I mean, well, it looks a bit people, like a groveling uh, episode. People, it? people go on rightly about the the, the poisonings of, of people by the Russian state in, mm. in, in, in London. Well, well it, it, nobody doubts the CIA has established that with the full knowledge of MBS, the uh, uh, Khashoggi, the, mm. the Washington Post journalist and Saudi dissident, was killed and dismembered yes. in the Saudi consulate in yes. Istanbul. By a team of people who appear to have been sent in there by Saudi Arabia. Well, it, 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 that, that no, one, no one seriously argues that this isn't a government crime. This mm. is also kind of when, when, when Johnson went out there to, to, for, for a similar kowtow a few months ago. I think a couple of days before he arrived, they, they executed mm. 81 people. Yeah. Uh, it is the most terrible bloodstained tyranny. And we cannot, I don't think, maintain that we're, that we're morally motivated if we do this. It's like we, we go on and on, for instance, about how the, the, the horrible President Assad of Syria mm. uh, kills his own people. Well, he does, and his regime is a, is a horrible morass of torture and, and, and murder. But the, the Egyptian government, with which we have very good relations, also kills its own people. Mm. People were gunned down in large numbers on the streets of Cairo mm. only a few years ago by this very regime, and yet we're we're nice to them. I think we really need to start pulling our heads in a bit on this on, on, on the moralising about foreign policy. People will say to me, "Well, this is what aboutery," mm. as if that dismissed it. But I, I don't see what's wrong with what aboutery. Actually, what aboutery is in the Bible, yeah. uh, where our Lord Jesus Christ says. No, observe the the, the, the the moat in your, the beam in your own eye before mm. busying yourself with the speck in somebody else's. Uh, that is what about it. Yeah. It is straightforward hypocrisy yeah. uh, to do these things. And hypocrisy is wrong. And to dismiss it, dismiss the accusation of hypocrisy as what about it, is not to dismiss it at all. It doesn't overcome it. No. We are very hypocritical about this. And frankly, I'm tired of it. Yeah. And it doesn't take away from the uh, the horrors of one dictator to point out that there's another dictator that does the same thing. Absolutely the first not. dictator still remains horrific. But if that is our principle, mm. if, we, if we really won't deal with, with people because of their, their, their horrific internal regimes or their aggressions abroad, then we can't really have anything to do with Saudi Arabia. But, but if we can have anything to do with Saudi Arabia, then don't be surprised if Western leaders who are now saying that Putin is, a, is, is an impossible monster mm. and a pariah, don't be surprised if they're back in contact mm. with him within a couple of years. Because actually, all this is, is bombast and propaganda, and it's not real. Right. So don't, in general, be taken in by it. No, of that's course. My, that's the general... And I mean, the same can be said for China, presumably, as well. Oh, the China permanently. Who, who we are constantly trying to sort of, you know, ingratiate ourselves with in tr China's terms of the trade. appalling uh, police state, concentration camps, and uh, if anybody else did what the Chinese are doing to the Uyghur minority in the far west of China, they would be accused of genocide. Yeah. Uh, but it, because it's China, everyone treads very softly yes. around it. And, and and there it is. It's it's all to do with what we need and how weak and how strong we are. And I, I, I think we should have less of it. I understand. I've spent a lot of time covering foreign policy in my life. I understand foreign policy has to be quite cynical. 
But I think there are limits to how much you can simultaneously act in a cynical fashion and pretend to be uh, and pretend mm. to be acting in a cynical fa- in, in, a, in a principled fashion. Yeah. If you're going to be cynical, then be cynical, but don't pretend while you're being cynical that you're being principled. Quite. Now, speaking of which, Pretty Patel uh, says she's going to target well-off cannabis users with plans to confiscate their passports and issue bans to nightclubs. I'm not sure people that smoke a lot of cannabis go to nightclubs, do they? I have no idea, um, as someone who doesn't either. But I, I just would like to point out that this is there's a long history of, of pretend threats of this kind, going back, I think, to, to uh, Ian Blair when mm. he was head of the Metropolitan Police saying he was going to have a crackdown on middle-class cocaine users, which, as far as I know, has yet to materialise, even though he has long retired. So I don't think anything will happen. Uh, I I wish it would. Mm. I wish the government and the police and the courts would actually enforce the quite stern provisions Mm. of the 1971 Misuse of Drugs Act, particularly on the very dangerous and unpleasant drug marijuana. But I don't see any sign of it. I just think this is is just somebody playing for... um, Playing, playing to what she imagines to be a conservative gallery, I think she may be disappointed if she thinks she's going to get much out of it. We well, don't need to cancel anybody's passport anymore, anyway, because you can't go anywhere. I mean, there's <laughs> no flights out of town. A lot they're of, all cancelled. A lot of people <laughs> having their passports cancelled because they can't get them. Actually, can't get one. Exactly. It's a very good point. Place. And finally, let's end on a, on a happy note. The roads no, to no, freedom. No, the roads to freedom. You've managed ah, to get it yeah, back well, on I, the It's amazing. This is it's extraordinary. The power of the I'm press. I'm so excited. Uh, here it is. We you know after after all those you know, saying what, what on earth has happened to this. Great Great series. Yeah, uh, the, they finally decided. They 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 sent me a note on 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 Friday saying it's going to be back on BBC Four starting at ten Fantastic. p.m. On, on the twenty seventh. Well, I hope everybody thinks it's as good as I say it is. No, well, no, it's going to be interesting because I mean I don't I physically haven't seen it since it was first shown yeah. when I was basically a kid. You know, how, and, so and, how would you take and it? And my yeah. mother wasn't sure that I should be watching it because it's a bit risque in parts. You know, it's very risque um, parts indeed. Yeah. But I seem to remember I was quite fond of Georgia Brown. Georgia Brown, yeah, and and and, and of course the guy who played the main character. Yeah, Michael Bryant. Michael Bryant. And Alison Fisk is also very... It was uh, a brilliant, very, very, brilliant very piece of television. Movie. And so I'm looking forward to it, but with slight um, reservation, just in case it's not as well, good as I thought it was. One of the things about old TV is it's slower than new mm. TV. Yes. I, mean, I think thought one of the best television series ever made was the, I still do, was Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, mm. the original yeah. John Le Carre. When I finally saw it again after many years, I, the thing that I felt mostly is it's a lot slower than yeah. we would do now, but there's nothing wrong with mm. slow. Yes, no, I agree with that. We should all go slowly today. Forgive me, though. Yeah. I swallowed my own. Saliva. Not too slow. Don't encourage the railways. Yeah, you know, don't or, encourage or, or, the railways or I'll be to go. Going slow. home at walking pace tonight. <laughs> exactly right, Peter Hitchens. Thank you very much indeed. Hope you survive the rest of the weather uh, that we're about to have. Um, tell me what the temperature is, by the way, because it was twenty-seven when I came in. Has it got to forty yet? Uh, I very much doubt it. If you can tell me it has, uh, maybe we'll have a prize for you. I'll Could give you just not, not give, a, give a brief, brief word to, to Fahrenheit temperatures? For many of us, they are still the only way in which Well, I will do. When it, well, they, they started using them when it was over 100, you know. That's what they do, Because, yeah. you know, oh, look, it's over 100. That must be bad. It's really hot. Terrible. Um, Peter Hitchens, thank you very much indeed. We'll take some calls coming up next. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Uh, we are, of course, here for the delectation uh, and the information provision uh, of all sorts of good things, including news, uh, including gossip and including breaking news, of course. The breaking news that we broke you uh, about quarter to 11 this morning, that there is no Sky TV debate because it turns out Liz Truss didn't want to have another go at Rishi Sunak and Rishi Sunak didn't want to have another go at Liz Truss. So uh, there's no more blue attacks on blue, uh, no more debating until they reveal who the final two 
two people are actually going to be. Uh, we'll end up probably losing one of the five this afternoon. Uh, a lot of people think it will be Tom Tugendhat. Um, and so we will bring you that, of course, through the course of this afternoon. Right now, though, we're going to talk to Sam Ashworth-Hayes from The Spectator, uh, because I've got a piece in front of me that says Britain's sclerotic state, wealth breeds complacency. And it's all about the problem with our economy, because um, there are quite a lot of problems with our economy. Sam, welcome. Thank you very much and, uh, indeed for joining us. Tell us about this. I mean, it basically starts off by saying that um, local, I mean, sort of recent governments in this country have been woefully awful at uh, predicting the economy and how it's going to move and also doing anything about making it work. Yeah, it's it's been such a spectacular um, misfire from from all parties, really, to, to avoid focusing on the core issue of growth. Politicians tend to come out and they have their agenda and they, they talk about the things they care very deeply about. And mm. it might be inequality, it might be climate change, it might be spending on defence. Uh, and they focus on these things. And what they don't focus on is the point that all of this becomes so much easier if you're a richer country. Mm. If you're worried about NHS funding, you can pay for a lot more docs and nurses if you have more money. Yeah. If you're worried about defence, you can buy a lot more missiles with yeah. a bigger economy. Um, and there's just been this real focus on how we divide what we have rather mm. than how we grow it. But surely the tax take in this country now must be huge because we've got bigger taxes and higher taxes now than we've had since the Second World War. Uh, you've got things like um, the fuel tax going up by such a huge amount because of the uh, increase in the price. So you've got VAT um, you know, revenues coming in in terms of billions and billions of pounds because of the rising price of everything else. So the government must be bringing in quite a lot of money, surely. It is. I mean, and this is actually part of the problem. Like, if you look at the reasons Britain isn't growing, um, I, I would say, you know, central, number one, mm. is the government and yeah. the way it's being run. Um, there's a, the sort of term I sort of use is vetocracy. Yes. If, if you want to do anything, you have to get permission from the government to do it. Mm. You need planning permission to build a laboratory, you need planning permission to build a housing, uh, which is obviously vital to getting works into areas. Yeah. Um, and we have... Um, performed abysmally since 2007 if you, well, you need at, planning permission to put conservatory on do you exactly it's ridiculous you look at um in per capita terms since 2007 to today we've grown about 0.6 percent per year mm. it's abysmally slow if you if you projected this stuff forward and now obviously it might not continue at, the, at this rate but if you projected this forward we'd be portland and poland in 12 yeah. years and Poland is actually probably a good example of uh, a, a country which has emerged from the um, the last century, if you like, um, as a much more rich country because you know their, um, their their businesses are doing well, their populations are doing well. You know, we had the kind of influx of Polish people coming into Britain, making a lot of money, doing very well, buying houses in Poland, building houses in Poland, taking that money that they made here back into their home nation. Um, and they've sort of transformed Poland, haven't they? Yeah, so, so Poland's done terribly well. And it's this, um, this, this idea of catch-up growth. Uh, and so economists, you, know, you kind of expect poorer countries to grow faster for a period because there's, there's so much more they can do to improve themselves. Mm. Um, and we have this idea that Britain is at the absolute frontier. We can't possibly do anything better. And mm. that's not true. Right. We are so much poorer than America. Um, there is so much room for us to do better than we are doing. Yeah. Uh, we could be, you know, if Britain was a US state, if you put our incomes per person down on, on the list... We wouldn't be the poorest place in America. We'd be the second poorest place really? in America. Wow. We'd be about $100 a year, $400 a year better off than mm. people in Mississippi. Other people would be earning twenty dollars to $30,000 a year more than we do yeah. in other states. That's extraordinary because it says your wages in 2022 are slightly below where they were in 2008, which is dreadful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so once you adjust for the fact that we've had so much inflation mm. since then, yeah, you're earning less than you were then. And so, and this is, this is the point. Um, people have talked a lot about how we divide um, what we produce in the economy, like whether it's fair or not. We're not talking about how we grow. And mm. you, you go to the leadership candidates 
And there's a lot of talk about, you know, um, will I cut taxes? Will I do this? Um, will I still redistribute in this way? No one's sitting there saying, this is my plan for economic growth. This no. is how I'm going to make it. A lot future. of them are saying that they want to see economic growth, but don't say how they're going to achieve it. Yep. And it seems to me that the tax-cutting conversation, which seems to be dominating uh, the leadership debate as, so far, whether there is ever going to be another one, we don't know. Um, <laughs> but basically, you know, they, they either agree with tax cuts because they think people will like them and therefore they will become popular and they'll be voted in, uh, or they disagree with them on the grounds that they're a very bad idea um, because it will cause massive problems for the future of the economy. Now, both of those things can't be right, can yeah, they? Exactly. So, I mean, I think there is, a, there is a point which is worth making, which is that on current trends, we're set to have the highest tax burden since the late 1940s. Mm. Uh, the government is taking more and more and more of what we yeah. produce and what we earn. And at a certain point, that actually becomes very damaging to, to growth and to prosperity. Yeah. And in particular, certain types of taxes are very damaging. So I think VAT is on the end of things, which, you know, if you're going to tax, VAT is a fairly good one to mm. have in place. Corporation tax is quite bad because that sort of discourages investment. Yeah. So there's there's a whole sort of range of uh, ways in which are ramping up taxes and ways which are quite damaging. Um, but again, like if you if you sat these candidates down and said, what are you going to do to make me richer tomorrow? Mm. Um, I think they'd be very hard-pressed to say anything other than, like, well, we'll deregulate. It's like, okay, fantastic. Mm. How are you going to do it? What's your plan? Yeah. Give me your list of things you're going to do. Mm. And number one, for any Kansas who wants to make Britain a richer place, the first thing you should be doing is reforming our absolutely abysmal planning system. Yeah. People can't build houses. People can't build research and development labs. People can't build factories. Um, and, you know, it, it sounds silly, but you can't have a productive economy if all the productive workers are stuck yeah. miles away from where they want well, to be. Well, you use the Heathrow Third Runway uh, as an argument, saying the plans for that have been around since about 2003. And, yeah. you know, we keep having one consultation after another. Um, one decision gets made, then it gets reversed, then they have another consultation period, then they decide to recommend something, uh, then it gets reversed again or put off and puts on the back burner. We had Boris's plan for putting, putting an airport into the middle of the Thames estuary. You know, all of them talk a great game but nothing ever actually gets built no nothing happens and so um, and Heathrow is a fantastic example mm. because it shows we are driving prosperity away from this country right. you look at Heathrow Airport the people in Amsterdam send us a thank you cake every time we delay the decision because the flights are going there that should be going here mm. those flights which should be making us a richer and more prosperous country are going to Holland and making them richer instead it's absolutely ludicrous I mean to take, to take another example um, Britain's largest container port is up in Felixstowe um, and they they were they start started looking at planning permission for a new harbour in two thousand and three. Mm. Um, they finally got approval to start breaking uh, ground in twenty twenty two. So that's what nineteen years. Yeah. So they did. That's get... incredible. And meanwhile, in China, they're building new coal fired power stations pretty much every week. Yeah. Uh, we don't have any manufacturing really to speak of anymore. Do you think part of that uh, is the problem? So we, we do have a we have a small manufacturing industry which which does quite well and sort of it doesn't employ many people but produces quite a lot of stuff. But yeah, the fact is that we it's incredibly hard for these places to build laboratories to to sort of build their product and develop their product. We don't have I mean it's an example I use in here which is in lab space right which is mm. suitable for startups. Um, how much there's like ninety thousand square feet of available lab space yeah. in London. There's fourteen point six million square feet available in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm. So if you're a startup and you want to go, you know, Boston's got Harvard and MIT, London's got Imperial, it's near Oxford and Cambridge. Mm. So we've got the talent here. But if you want to start a company and you want to be able to develop your product and, you know, bring this world-changing innovation, 
Are you going to go to Boston where you can get a nice cheap rent, or are you going to go to London where you pay for your notes? So you can actually get around Boston as well without having to be stuck in traffic for 24 hours a day, <laughs> uh, which is another thing that's coming up. We'll talk some more about this, and we'll talk some more about the Tory leadership scenario as well. Uh, Sam Ashworth-Hayes is here talking about the dearth uh, of ideas and also the slowness of progress in this country. I think it's always been a problem for as long as I can remember. Things have always taken a long time to do, and that surely is the enemy of all kinds of modernisation, isn't it? 0344 499 uh, is the number. How about this uh, from someone who doesn't give a name? Can you find out why fuel raced to £2 a litre a few weeks ago and then stopped and has remained at that price pretty much ever since? Very strange. Well, we'll try and get an answer to that as well. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. LaDonna Harvey coming in all the way from California uh, in a little while. She'll be here too. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. A couple of things to do before uh, we reach one o'clock when it is, of course, time uh, for Ian Collins. He's going to take you through uh, until four o'clock. I'm back on the talk tonight as well, by the way, uh, where we'll have lots to discuss with regard to uh, that second, that third debate rather being cancelled with Sky TV. Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss deciding that they don't want any longer to be critical of each other in public. uh, So therefore they pulled the debate. They're not going to be doing it. Right now, let's talk about Ukraine because we're joined uh, by the Deputy Defence Minister of Ukraine, Major General Volodymyr Havrilov, uh, who is in London. Uh, he's talking, of course, to uh, the Henry Jackson Society uh, because uh, they're having a conversation along with uh, uh, Major General John Holmes, Director of the UK Special Forces, about help that's going on uh, in Ukraine. But also this morning there's a story uh, that Volodymyr Zelensky, the President of Ukraine, has suspended their own security chief and top prosecutor amidst charges uh, of collaboration with the Russians. So it's a very major story today. Uh, Major General, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, first of all, let me ask you about this um, uh, story emanating this morning from uh, from uh, uh, Kiev, where it says a total of 651 collaboration and treason cases have been opened against law enforcement officials. It sounds like an awful lot. Oh, well, it's just numbers, numbers, and we are in, at war. Now, and all uh, numbers like that, of course, they attract a lot of attention from the civil society as well. Mm. So it's up to the president to decide uh, what is the best solution. So he decided to do that step. But if it turns out that uh, the head of Ukraine's spying agency, the SBU, and the prosecutor general have been collaborating with the Russians, I mean, how long do you think that's been going on and, and how damaging has it been? Well, I am not uh, involved from my position to that kind of uh, uh, job. So, uh, of course, uh, any uh, information about involvement of our officials in kind of collaboration or connect a relationship with Russia is very painful for everybody in, in Ukraine. And, uh, of course, we are looking for very fast, quick reaction of the government and the leadership to fix that. Yes. But it's a very serious development, isn't it? Uh, yes, of course. Any any, any uh, situation, any case related to the Russian involvement uh, on different levels to so Ukraine is uh, uh, very uh, attentively learned and uh, just researched by people. In, first of all, people in Ukraine, mm. civil society is following any news related to the possible just fifth column activity of Russia. And we faced that issue from 2014. Uh, at the, and during the war, Russia is especially active with that. So any uh, this, uh, any uh, case is, uh, I hope, I hope 
is investigated in the right way and we make our own conclusion how to fix the system and how to address this challenge. And people who are accused of treason in uh, Ukraine, what happens to them if they are found guilty? Yeah, we we have a legislation here in this case that, of course, we don't have a uh, kind of death row killing like in some states of the, of the world. But there is a term up from 15 years, I believe, somewhere in prison for that kind of hmm. okay. problem. Let's talk about why uh, you're here. Um, support for Ukraine amidst the cost of living crisis has, uh, has been quite... Um, large in terms of money another one billion pounds uh, of military support has been uh, has been pledged um what are you what are you hoping to uh, achieve while you're here in london i'm here first of all just because we have a very uh, strong support from united kingdom uh, for to our military and to our case and the united kingdom uh, was a country the first country to provide us with uh, very effective anti-tank systems just on the eve of the war and we have a lot of support from your military and from your leadership uh, to supply Ukraine with uh, necessary staff and also to build up relationship between Ukrainian military and other militaries also to support that. So it's one thing. And also we have a lot of uh, military on training here starting yeah. just two or three weeks ago. And the United Kingdom uh, just gave us a proposal uh, to support training of our military. And I think it's the only country in the world in the history of Ukraine who gave us so generous proposal of uh, more than uh, almost 10,000 people to be trained here. And for us, it's very crucial, very important, and we really respect the traditions and history of uh, UK military mm. in this regard. Of course. And President Zelensky himself has uh, praised Boris Johnson for his role in, in all of that particularly early on in the conflict and, and, uh, and the help that Britain was, was delivering and, and, and making and promises about. Um, what's been the reaction uh, to Boris Johnson's um, deselection, if you like, now that he's leaving office as prime minister? Yeah, we, we very expect in Ukraine the Boris Johnson contribution. He, he is a very brave man to come to Ukraine during the war. And he was the first politicians to walk together with our president in the center of the Kiev. And uh, so, uh, of course, uh, it's your uh, United Kingdom internal po politics uh, with regard to who is the leader. Mm. At the same time, we strongly believe in Ukraine that uh, British society, UK society, civil society is very supportive to us. And it really uh, doesn't matter who is in uh, uh, key political positions. There is a full spectrum support to Ukraine. And sooner or later, uh, we will feel it after appointment of a uh, new prime minister. Hmm. And how is the, uh, the the war going as far as you would uh, as far as you would describe it? Obviously, um, parts of Ukraine are relatively safe. Other parts are under siege continually. What's your kind of um, summation of what where you are? We have faced a very dramatic uh, development of this war in Ukraine from uh, February 24th. And during the first stage of the war, uh, we succeeded to push Russians away from the capital and the, from the northern areas of Ukraine. And Russia learned a lot uh, from the mistakes they've done during the first uh, months of the campaign. 
and they concentrate uh, on the east of Ukraine, trying to achieve some strategic goals there and to destroy our military. But they underestimated the the power of civil society Mm. in Ukraine, the readiness of the people to sacrifice their their lives and to protect the country. And they underestimated the support of the European countries in the United States and Canada and to Ukraine with uh, resources, uh, with embargoes, with uh, sanctions, and with a, with a weapon. That's why now we are in the second stage of the war, when uh, our purpose is to stabilize the line of contact with uh, the Russian military, just to stop them, to uh, rid off of any chance of Russia to have an advance on the ground. And we are just uh, working hard on that. And after stabilization, I think it will not take a long time. Uh, Of course, sooner or later, we will start counter-offensive and to take back the territories uh, occupied by Russia now. So we are working on that. We are very confident in our success. We are receiving more and more new technologies to do that in the right and fast manner. Uh, So it's only a matter of time that Ukraine will win this war. Of course, it's a bloody war. We will pay a lot for that. But thanks to the support from uh, our European partners in the United States and United Kingdom, I would especially admit the uh, the role and the place of United Kingdom in that. Uh, so I have no doubt we will succeed and uh, we'll see victory not so so far away as somebody thinks in Europe. Okay. Major General Vladimir Havrilov, thank you very much indeed. Deputy Defence Minister of Ukraine there, uh, giving his take on the way things are in that part of the world. Uh, We'll have more after this. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.